You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. To rescue a beautiful princess. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Too short for a stormtrooper. And defend the forces of freedom against the Death Star. Here they come. The winner of seven Academy Awards, the legendary Star Wars. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. everybody and welcome once again to Geekfest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are heading towards an area that is one of our favorite ones and that is posters of the month. We haven't visited them in a while and guess what? Speaking of favorite, we're going to Star Wars once again. This time around we are going to hit the original, original, original first posters that were ever out there to promote the film. The ones you saw in possibly outside the movie theater or some merchandise, but those very classic posters that, you know, are so iconic, you know, they were meant to be just a, a, a some way of, of marketing a film to make you aware of it, but so many years later, they are just art, plain and simply art. So get ready for that one. And then we are going to have a little bit of a bonus piece we're going to do a follow-up on our Huey Lewis and the News spot that we did uh, a couple months ago. We are going to review the latest and possibly final album of Huey Lewis and the News called Weather. It's a long road that brought us to this album and I'm going to share some of my personal feelings on what this album means to me. So let's get started with our posters of the month. You can collect them all! You are a toy! is not included. Get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the six million dollar man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each, one to display, one to open, and one just in case. Okay, on today's posters of the month, we are going to highlight two or three posters uh, that are very original Star Wars posters. A few of them are considered to be one-sheet posters, posters that were actually used to promote the film as the poster that would show up outside the movie theater. The first one is what's more or less known as the the Style A poster, which is the one that most likely, you know, most people that saw Star Wars 
here in the United States, um, got to see in the movie theater. Now, granted, this style A poster, which I've recently acquired, obviously for, for my purposes, the ones that I acquired, they're reproductions, they're not originals. The originals are very, very expensive and I cannot afford them. But I was able to purchase a few reproductions, which for my purposes are just as good, you know, because I'm just going to display them for a little bit of time and then put them away. But this particular one that I'm talking about is the Tom Jung poster. What makes this poster different than most of the other ones? Well, this is a very, what I would kind of consider bare bones kind of poster in terms of, you have Luke and Leia, you have Vader's helmet in the background, you have a whole mess of X-Wings taking flight, which I, I strongly doubt that there were that many X-Wings taking flight in the movie. You have the Death Star on top. You have the A Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away, you know, logo. And you have the two droids also on the on the right side of the poster. And Luke is holding up, you know, his lightsaber, which we don't really see the, the blade too much in detail, but we see this glow, this almost like a like an upside-down T-shaped glow. It's almost like an X-formation, which is supposed to be like a shining, flashing, blinding light, let's say, you know, emanating from the lightsaber, which is somewhat unusual because, of, you know, you never really see something like that on the, on the poster. Now, this poster went through a number of iterations, you know, in, in the process of it being put together. If you look at some of the original sketches for it, you know, what that, that led to this particular final product, you do see what could be considered a Frank Frazetta style to it. You know, the guy that, that uh, drew all those famous Conan pictures and inspired, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, art having to do with Conan. And the earlier renditions of that poster have Leia and Luke more... Again, if you are familiar with the Frenzetta style, the the super muscular men, you know, ripped abdomen, chest, you know, almost like a He-Man looking thing, <laughs> which is funny because He-Man is really a ripoff of Conan. You know, it all goes in circles. And Leia is, you know, her legs are more exposed. Her clothing is more see-through. You know, she's got more of a of a sexy kind of pose. And that original design, you know, you have Vader also slightly to an angle. You don't see as much of Vader in the original design. The X-Wings are there. The droids are not there. So it's just Luke and Leia. And like I said, it looks rather odd. It, it looks, I don't know, it just looks a little strange. Then there's an, another version of it, which again, the background stays pretty much the same, but Leia is, is less sexed up in this one. It, uh, it still doesn't look like her because they're, the, the image that they're, they're using or the image that is being used is, is not very specific to the actor. It is not. But now the clothing is starting to resemble the actor a little more, especially her. The gun that she's holding is completely unrecognizable. It, it looks like a modern pistol, to tell you the truth. It doesn't look like anything spacey. But then finally, the last version of this picture that we get, which is the one that most of us are probably familiar with. And again, if you remember it from the movie theater, that's amazing. Because even 
Star Wars archival records have it that that poster probably wasn't even ready for the premiere. When they did their May 25th premiere, they still didn't have a finished product as far as the art was concerned. So there was an article I found where it shows that the the earliest example or the earliest photo that was able to be located of the poster in a movie theater was from July. So it, it took close to a month and a half, you know, to have at least a record of, of posters actually showing up in movie theaters. As usual, we have to remember that Star Wars was a big gamble. Nobody was exactly sure what they had on their hands until they had it on their hands and they were displaying it and showing it to people and that sort of thing. So it is not inconceivable that, yeah, it is very possible that up until that minute, that wasn't there. They had nothing to go with. They could just put the word Star Wars on the marquee of the theater, but there was just no poster until a couple of weeks later. Well, what's interesting about this poster, a couple of other facts I found on the internet, is that the boots that Luke is wearing don't look much like his boots at all. As a matter of fact, they look more like the boots that Vader was wearing, except they're painted white in this example. They even have these uh, these knee kind of sections that are, are more exclusive to Vader. Another interesting uh, fact about this painting is that originally, when they were first drawn, the droids were not in the picture. The droids were later added as, you know, it was finally decided to really use this poster. So the, the, the droids had to be added actually by another person because of the fact that, you know, they weren't there to begin with. The weapon that Leia finally is holding is on its final form substituted with a more Star Wars-y kind of weapon, except it is not the weapon she uses in the film. It is very much, very much looking a little bit like Solo's blaster, like she's holding Han Solo's gun, which obviously she doesn't do that in the movie. Now, even though they, you know, dressed her up a little more as the progress of the art, you know, continued to be modified and modified, they gave her a little more clothing, less see-through-y kind of, you know, gowns. Apparently, on the newspaper ads, which were basically copies of the poster... They decided to kind of hide one of her legs. So you see a little less of, of leg. <laughs> Don't know if that's an issue, if that was an issue about showing too much leg, you know, and the newspaper ads. I don't know. The poster, you see one full leg and a little bit of the other leg. But in the newspaper ad, they co they cover up that second leg. The, not the sexier leg, if you will, the, the, the other leg, the less exposed leg, which, again, it's a bizarre little weird thing that they did you know later in the year i think it was like maybe around august when they were running those those ads back then that you know they they decided to do that another thing that's very noticeable about this poster is the likenesses from the beginning it looks as if they decided or had decided to use the likenesses of the actors and by that i mean the heads the bodies are not the bodies luke is there with an outfit that resembles his outfit a little bit, you know, very white outfit. But for some reason, you know, his 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 shirt is wide open and he's all muscular and ripped, you know. And it's like, wow, that's not Luke whatsoever. His face kind of looks like him. Same thing with Leia. The head, 
is the Carrie Fisher head. It's a little more, I would say, adultish than the pictures, I would say, that you would have as reference for her during that time. You know, those years, that year. The body, forget it. The body is not her body. That's a body for, you know, like a sexy model type of body. Granted, it's not as explicit as it was before, you know, on those uh, uh, sketches, you know, that worked up to this. The droids, as I mentioned before, were later added also because at first they weren't part of this picture. And the word Star Wars is in the bottom. Now, you got to also remember... The word Star Wars being used here, the logo for Star Wars, is not the logo for Star Wars that later on we would get, uh, not only with the crawl of the movie that later would kind of find its way to many of the logos of Star Wars. You know, the gold and black, or in the case of the action figures, the silver or chrome over black. You know, with the racetracks, you know, the, the, the letters leading to another letter, that kind of stuff. No, this was an earlier design for the logo that was pretty quickly abandoned. It was the letters almost in a triangular uh, formation. I guess you could say maybe it was supposed to depict the crawl a little bit, the way that the crawl goes into this infinite, you know, deep area. And the letters were colored black or like a dark gray, more like it, with stars inside the letters. Again, this was the early, early logo that quickly was replaced. But what's important about this particular poster or this particular art is that this is the art that was used later for the VHS covers, for you know any or many other reusing of a media that would be attached to the film. So... It is a pretty famous, if you will, poster. I mean, it is the poster. It is the first official poster, you know, for the movie that, that you know, ended up showing up in movie theaters. Uh, however, it is also somewhat of a dark, not very exciting poster. Uh, they're just kind of teasing the characters. The Again, the actors are not very well known, so... Their faces are kind of small, you know, not like these days where, you know, you take a poster and they, they, they blow up the face if it's a known actor, you know, that's the, the main draw. Here, they were promoting something different. They were, it was completely a different, a different animal, if you will. Now, this poster leads us to our second poster, which is another reproduction poster I've acquired lately. And that is the version of this poster done by the Hildenbrandt brothers. Now, What's really interesting about this second poster is the story of how it came about. The Hildebrand brothers uh, were already pretty well known, just like the original, uh, the, the Jung poster. You know, Jung was a very well known artist. You know, he had done some serious work and, you know, he was known for his art. Same thing with the Hildebrand brothers. They were approached because. At some moment, at some point, right around the time of the opening or right before the opening of the film, it was decided that the junk poster was just a little too dark. It was a little too 
it, it just wasn't popping enough. Um, it had the right elements, but they didn't look as exciting, you know, to them. So what they did was they commissioned the Hildebrand brothers, and the, the story goes that it took them again. These are two brothers that work kind of in tandem with each other to come up with these posters, and it took them thirty six hours to take the original concept or look of the junk poster and turn it into something different. What they did have, you know, for them to to, to be able to um, you know put together, was the the same framework as the junk poster. Meaning the Vader is in the back, the X wings are flying up, the Death starts over there in the corner, Luke and Leia are in the middle, and once again, because later on they added the C three P on the R two D two, they also later on added a C three P on an R two D two, and it was framed. You know, in in a poster format, just like it was with the other one. Now, let's talk about the differences. When you put these posters side by side, again, the format is pretty much equal. It's just the style. With the junk poster, there's a lot more blues. There's a lot more orange. There's a lot more white. It's a brighter poster. It's a more colorful poster. It pops more. The other one is a little more subdued, more quiet. This one basically pops. What's really, really interesting is the fact that for this particular version of the poster, they were, even though they were supplied with materials, you know, to be able to see what this thing looks like, they were told that they didn't have to necessarily go with the pictures of the actors, because at the time, again, those actors were unknowns, more or less. So when you look at the pictures of those characters, they look even less than Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. The man looks nothing like Mark Hamill and the lady looks nothing like Carrie Fisher. Uh, there are some behind the scenes photos that, that, you know, running around on the internet where you do have their friends posing, you know, in the particular pose that they wanted them to be in. Uh, Luke is more or less doing the same kind of pose as the other one, but Leia is different. She's posing completely different. It's similar, but different. And you have the same, you know, the same leg exposure, but the arms are in a slightly different location. Uh, it's funny because in one of the uh, Hildenbrand interviews, only one of the two brothers is still alive. Uh, he mentioned that that he didn't realize until many, many years later that he only painted, I guess, one of Leia's hands with only four fingers. Uh, so that was interesting that, you know, stuff like that kind of like slips through the cracks. Is there a favorite one for me? Hard to say. Again, this particular poster was a crash, quick, get it done, because we would like to have a different poster for our release. Well, after all that work was done, it turns out that they did not use it. They remained with the original Jung poster, you know, to be the official US release of the poster. However, this art remained in the Lucasfilm files and it was used so many more times for so many more things it's just unbelievable the amount of time it was used the poster was mocked up to be used uh, as a movie poster you know with the credits on the bottom uh, and it was i believe it was used a little bit as a preview poster uh, for the british release previewing if you will uh, a new movie that's coming cuz in britain you know star wars was may 25th here but in britain was in december so once they realized that they had a monster hit on their hands here in the States, uh, 
they started to th- modify the plans for how to release this movie internationally. Instead of going with whatever normal thing they were going to go with, all of a sudden they were like, no, wait a minute. We got to think of something else. This is going to be big. So part of that was the design of of, of the poster. Now, for in England, see, England is very different. Um, English posters, uh, at least back then, they used to have like the regular large posters and then I think what they call the quads, which are the much, long, much larger, more rectangular uh, landscape kind of design. So they're able to incorporate the art, you know, side by side, credits on one side, art on the other side, or multiple art left and right, you know, that kind of thing. They're able to, to spread it out more than your traditional American straight poster. You know, the the one sheet, the traditional one sheet. Well, apparently what they did is the Hildebrand art was used, again, as a a preview almost of what was coming. The other noticeable difference is the lightsaber glow is more definitive lightsaber looking, even though it has a a pointy point to it and and a star pattern. Not as flamboyantly, you know, uh, shiny and, and, and making that gigantic, you know, X right on the, on the mark, you know, the, the cross looking thing. It's a little more subdued. It is a little distracting to me, at least, how the likenesses are not there. They're there in the Jung poster. They're not there in the Hildebrand posters. Those two characters are not they're not. They're not the actors. They're they're noticeably not the actors. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe that's why uh, they they decided to just stick with the regular thing. I don't know. The point is that this is a particular piece of art that, at least in America, never turned into a one sheet. You know, to 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 release the film or to do re-release the film. Uh, it, it did make it to England, like I said, but. One place where this art uh, will show up famously is in the action figures. In the action figures where you have the Luke and Leia sitting or standing next to the logo of the action figure, that is the art they end up using. The color palette is more like it. The face recognition is more like it, meaning less recognizable. So... It is interesting how those things, uh, you know, eventually make it to other uh, versions or other ways of um, being able to market the film. That the art never goes away. The art is reused and reused and reused in so many mediums. It is just unbelievable, you know, the amount of art that is out there and, and how many times it gets used. Now, the third and and final uh, poster in uh, in this series of posters, in these original release series of posters that I would uh, want to add here, it is what's better known as the Tom Chandrell poster. This is a poster that was commissioned for the UK release. Originally, the Hildebrandt's were being looked at as the possible poster. And then again, like I said, it was very briefly used at first. But once they really, really uh, realized which way they wanted to promote the film, the Chantrell poster is the one that won out of all the different selections that they had. The story goes that Gary Kurtz walks into a room, looks at a whole bunch of posters and says, that one right there. This is a poster by a British artist as opposed to the other uh, two that I guess were American uh, artists. Uh, this is, was done f- 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 by a British artist who had some experience with, with British posters, British poster making, you know, art 
agencies, that sort of thing. And this poster is probably the most lifelike poster out there having to do with Star Wars. I might have mentioned this poster once before, I'm not entirely sure, but again, this is another poster I own, which I'm pretty sure it's a reproduction, but I do have the, you know, the large size version of it. For those of you not very familiar with it, it's basically Luke in the center pointing a blaster straight at the viewer, Leia on the right, shooting to the, to the right, Han Solo to the left, shooting to the left, Vader in the back, holding a lightsaber that kind of looks orangish, and it has a hilt and like a and like a hilt safety area, which is very unlike anything that you've seen before. Which is really weird how they they kind of miss the mark of that sort of thing. But what's important about this poster is that they're they're kind of sta- the, the the main characters are kind of standing in a V formation, so it's kind of like. The closer to the front, the bigger the character, and then, and then off to the sides. But then you also have the minor characters. You have Chewbacca on the right, C-3PO and R2, and some X-Wings, and an explosion, and in the background, I think you might even see Mos Eisley or something. And then to the left, you have Obi-Wan, and Tarkin, and more X-Wings, and TIE Fighters, and a Death Star in, in a dogfight, and even an, uh, I can even see an, a, a Y-Wing in there, too. So... It is possible to, to, to say that one of the purposes of this poster is because this is being released in England, you want to promote your English actor. So there you have the heads of two of you know gigantic English actors, Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing, you know, that screams, you know, to the British people, look over here. These people are British. <laughs> so you, you have more of that. What's really, really good about this poster is the photorealism of them. To me, they almost look like photographs. You know, they're they're animated looking in terms of how beautiful they look. So that, again, the, the word photorealistic, when people can actually draw something that looks like a photo, how good it's drawn. That is the best thing about this poster. It captures the realism. The action, the laser blast, the explosions, it's all kind of like right there in front of you, coming at you, you know, in your direction, almost three-dimensional, you know, it's kind of like popping. It it is a completely different kind of poster. And it's somewhat hard to say if you think about it, you know, in terms of the style, you know, this is a a, kind of like an in-your-face style, the other was a little more sublime style. You could say that... The Jung poster, they didn't know what they had in their hands yet. They weren't sure. They were promoting it very conservatively, very subtle. So, you know, they're not giving you all the characters. Now, granted, in poster making, one of those famous techniques, if you will, especially for sequels, or even, it could even work for for non-sequels, for original films, at least back then, is that you don't want to reveal too much on the poster. You don't want to reveal all your super special character, if you will. You know, you you want to tease, but you don't want to give all, you know, you don't want to show all your cards right away on the poster. So it is possible that those original posters only had Luke and Leia because they didn't want to reveal the creatures, the robots, the bigger stars, you know, the action, the special effect. You don't, you don't want to give that away too much. This one gives it away pretty much. And I guess at this point, it really didn't matter much because the movie had already been out. So 
it was pretty well known that this is a movie that's going to give you these other characters and these other creatures and robots that are going to just blow you away. And once again, if you are trying to promote certain actors that are not the leads of the film, then you are going to try to incorporate their faces into into the poster somehow. And that gets done sometimes. You know, again, depending on the market, you want to promote, you know, the people that are there. The, 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 the trap that you, you have to try to avoid is not to... Uh, highlight a certain actor too much if he's a very if he's not exactly the star you can't make his head as big or as gigantic or bigger than your star because then it looks weird it looks like you're the movie is starring someone else when they really shouldn't but in this british poster i think it it works and this is the type of poster once again that eventually this art you know once it was used for britain and and probably some other territories, this art returned many, many times on T-shirts, on uh, notebooks, you name it, bags. Just think of merchandising and this art, you know, will find its way to something. Which is, again, it's, it's fantastic how this thing works. I do think, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I have a feeling that the Hildebrand poster was also used for some of the... South American releases. Now, the, for, for me, I've always been looking for an original poster or any kind of original information of when I first saw Star Wars in Uruguay uh, in 78. I believe it was January of 78 when it was released. And I have no memory whatsoever of the poster. But from the research I've done, I have seen two versions of Star Wars written in Spanish as a poster one of them being the Hildebrand, the other one being the Chantrell poster. Uh, something tells me it was the Hildebrand that uh, is the one that I got hit with. Because, uh, again, that art, it is so close, so, so, so close, you know, to, to the Jung poster, the one that, that, that was used in the U.S. But, yeah, that happens all the time when they have to decide – you know, which way to go with these posters? Do you go in the direction, you know, of this style or do you go in the direction of that style? And, and you know, there are people that try to figure this out in terms of what would people react to the most and, and how people how do people react to this poster and people will react better to that poster. There's a lot of uh, uh, of research that goes into that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it's really, really interesting how these posters go. The only other memorable Star Wars piece of art, I would say, from the original release that made its way to other forms of posters and merchandising, uh, being able to, you know, reuse, but not necessarily for a movie one-sheet poster, is the Berkeley paintings. This is John Berkeley, which I've uh, covered in a previous episode, and how that was used for the first release, you know, of the novel, of the Star Wars movie novel. You know, that was the, the Berkeley one, which, yeah, that's another very noticeable one that, 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 again, to this day, it keeps getting reused and it keeps showing up here or there, but not in a one-sheet movie poster. These posters are historic. The art is historic. 
if you were to buy them original, they would cost so much money. I strongly recommend going the reproduction route, the reprint route. Some of them come out really well done, well printed. And it's a way of being able to display them without worrying about damaging them or anything like that. Again, as you guys know, I, I rotate my posters. So every couple of months, you know, I'll have two new posters up that hopefully can tell uh, a really interesting story about them, especially if they're posters that mean a lot to me. Star Wars is the foundation of just about, you know, all of my fandoms that I go after. That's where it all started with Star Wars, and it continues to be with Star Wars. And the art, you know, there's something about poster art that... It's 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 a fraction of a movie that plays a role in one's connection, one's fandom connection, especially when when you don't have a lot of merchandise. And Star Wars is the worst example of this because Star Wars is primarily merchandise. But when you don't have a lot of merchandise uh, for for a specific uh, fandom that you have, the movie poster, the 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 soundtrack. Maybe the novel, you know, those are some of the basic things that you would almost always at least have to go on, you know, to be able to go a little deeper, to be able to show, you know, to display your 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 colors, your your fandom cred <laughs> is, is, is at least being able to get those things. And with a lot of these pieces of art uh, done by so many different artists, artists that Many of them have been in the business for so long doing a specific art that is just not done anymore. It is an art form of painting, you know, drawing and painting with brushes and pencils and sketches and, you know, charcoal and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, now it's completely different. Not only do a lot of people not even bother with, with actual uh, paintbrushes and that sort of thing, and not only do the people that do have a lot of them have moved on to computerized versions of painting, you know, being able to paint on computer with graphic pens and graphic brushes and that sort of thing. But not even that I'm talking about nowadays posters being put together more of in a Photoshop fashion where you can just take elements and cut and paste and, and, and blur and do all these things that are different that you can just take a picture and modify the picture and it's incorporated into a poster. So it's not uh, anymore the longer kind of process of, you know, painting a form of portrait that is somewhat different. It gives you a different feeling. It's not giving you exactly what's coming at you. It's giving you almost a romanticized version of what you're about to see. It's a different feel. It's a completely different feel that we don't really get anymore. But if you are starting from the beginning, and I know there were other posters. The Star Wars had some preview posters of just the word Star Wars with some other graphics over black, sil you know, silver letters, Star Wars logo, different versions of the Star Wars logo. There are a few, you know, if you're going deep, deep into this, there are some preview posters coming soon, Star Wars, that, that kind of stuff. There are out there. But if you were to start, you know, with a movie, with the first movie, you know, in the order and in the sequence of how you started to see these things, the ones I described today are, are your, your basic elemental ones that, you know, kind of from there, 
everything kind of branches off in so many directions. And 40 plus years later, you know, we're still seeing this art show up every now and then somewhere. Uh, that's what's really amazing is the longevity, the reusage of this art. It's something that it goes from being a logo to a piece of art, something you can stare at and notice new things that you've never noticed before. And and especially when something looks like it's been drawn and painted with a brush and you see those brush strokes and you see how if you get too close, things don't look that good. But after a certain distance of you pulling back, it becomes something different. It, it takes a different shape. That's the kind of stuff that I, I kind of miss these days because you don't really see that anymore. It, those kind of posters are not that important. It was a different time. It was a different way of marketing. It was a different audience. So when when all of a sudden you do see something like that pop out of somewhere, whether it's done on purpose or as some kind of a nostalgic um, attempt you know, at, at promoting a film in that manner, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I remember that. That looks that looks familiar. But again, some of these artists, the names will return, you know, later down the line, not only with other films, but with other Star Wars materials, because sometimes they would reuse these artists. And hopefully you'll get to uh, hear these names again in the near future. kind of music do you usually have here? Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Do you mind if we dance with your dates? Why no, not at all. Go right ahead. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys to 11. We just washed the hair. No, I work on my hair a long time. He, he hit it. He hits my hair. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. All right, I'd like to do a follow-up on a piece that I did uh, a few months ago. I did a, a whole show, basically, on Huey Lewis and the News, and you know them being one of my favorite, if not my favorite, <laughs> rock band of the 80s. And in the piece, I did talk about what was happening with Huey, that he was kind of stopping his work, you know, his performance. He had stopped performing because of an illness that he had that was preventing him from singing, a hearing-related illness that does not allow him to sing properly, so he can't sing. And just around that time when I was putting together that show, or thinking about putting together that show, the news came that this new album was coming, which this is an album that they've been working on apparently for a while, but for whatever reason it kept getting delayed, or the date wasn't finalized, a new publishing company, blah, blah, blah. And hey, finally the album is here. And I want to go through some of the tracks in order to kind of see where this album is at in terms of how does it compare to earlier albums, 
which one is it most likely like <laughs> in terms of you know all the previous stuff now granted I- i've mentioned this many times before my favorite album is sports however all of the other albums that he's put out other than the cover albums they usually had at least one or two songs that i really really liked so you know personally for me sports is in a category by itself but all the other albums i can take one or two cuts and then make the greatest hits of Huey Lewis because in my opinion you can kind of do that you can take a couple of good hits you know and 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 put them in in some of his best with weather I think we have a similar situation but with weather it's a little more complicated because with weather which is the name of this album it kind of becomes a little more personal the album itself while making his publicity tour of this album, he's given a number of interviews where he kind of clarifies a little more, which I did not know, the extent of his illness. I believe it's called Miner's Disease, something like that. And apparently, it hit him somewhere around 30 years ago. You know, this isn't something new. And it resulted in him losing complete hearing in one ear. So, for the last 30 years... He has been performing, writing and performing and (laughs) recording with his other ear, with the understanding, you know, you know, he, he knew what illness he had. And, you know, the doctors said to him that, you know, he could still function pretty well with one ear. I remember in an interview, he talks about some other famous musicians. I think Jimi Hendrix was one of them that only could hear out of one ear. However, what what had happened was that over the last two years, Little by little, his other remaining year started to go on him to the point where, as he explains, there are times when he just cannot hear a pitch. He cannot tell, you know, what exactly is happening around them from his hearing. So he cannot sing. He cannot hit certain notes unless he hears the proper pitch. And again, it's, it's a very technical, medical, musical problem. Uh, that really, really um, seems to, you know, hit hard to the extent where he just cannot perform. You know, he doesn't know how his hearing is day to day. You know, he talks about how, like, today he's at a level 10 and, and tomorrow he's at a level 4. You know, it's it's hit or miss. And when you go on tour, you just can't perform you know, when you feel up to it, because obviously, you know, people are buying tickets and it's very complicated. Does that mean he might be able to record one day? Maybe, who knows? But all of these songs in this particular album that he's put out were songs that they had already pretty much gotten down. Some of them were already being performed. You know, when they would go on tour, they would throw in a new song here or there. Uh, so it's it's interesting how how sometimes you know if you type in the name of these songs in YouTube they'll pop up from a performance three four years ago. That's how weird it is that it's like oh wow, you know these some of these songs were there all along waiting for us. But my understanding or the feeling that I'm getting is that this is more or less a goodbye album in terms of I don't think he sees himself coming back from this. This is a forced retirement in a way, if you will, which is sad because, I mean, don't get me wrong, Huey is, he's getting up there in his age, but to have to stop performing 
you know, because of a medical issue is, is difficult. And I guess that this happens really to, to, to a lot of performers, you know. There's a point where they just can't do it anymore, whether it's a specific medical condition or they're just tired of it, you know. <laughs> you know, life on the road, from what I understand, is not pretty and, and you have to be into it to, to be able to, to withstand that sort of thing. Now, this particular album only has seven cuts, so it's kind of a short album because I guess that's all they had you know, done up to that point. Normally an album has at least 10 tracks, I think, 9 or 10, 11, 12 tracks sometimes, you know, depending on the album. So this one comes relatively on the short side. And as I've said earlier, what's what's interesting about this album is that it feels like a goodbye album. The songs themselves, the topics that he talks about, the formats or genres that he explores in these cuts are kind of like a greatest hits in a way in terms of genre. I guess his personal favorite, his influences are all there. And we talked about this before. We talked about how, to me, you know, the, the Huey Lewis sound, the original Huey Lewis sound, you know, and I'm talking from the 80s, you know, what hooked me on Huey Lewis, has a lot to do with what's behind the sound. The sound was definitely 80s rock. Not heavy metal, more kind of like a pop rock. However, it did have traces of, I think, you know, 50s rock. And that was my major connection with Huey Lewis. Because of that, that being, you know, one of my many favorite eras of rock and roll, you know, I kind of always saw a little bit of that in the background. Especially when you got to, you know, the movie Back to the Future and the kind of songs that he put out for that movie. It, it made very much sense. Um, but uh, with I Want a New Drug, for example, it's all there. I always say I Want a New Drug is the best example of his best work in terms of this is the Huey Lewis sound. However, my personal favorite is The Power of Love, which... You know, it, it's a little different of, of a song, but it's just a, a more of a favorite for, for my personal taste. So with the cuts that we have in this album, I would say there's possibly one lead cut, which is the one they released first. And then there's a secondary cut that they, I guess they're just, they're trying to make, I guess the B-side, if you will, if they, they don't have B-sides anymore, but it's called While We Were Young. And... It's a song that, again, it's all about aging. It's about remembering, you know, the, the earlier times. And it kind of fits, again, this particular album because, you know, if you look at um, Huey Lewis songs in general, uh, some of them are about having fun, meeting girls, breaking up, a lot of breakup songs with girls, problem with girls. You know, it's there's a there's a theme <laughs> that goes you know on through the albums, which I, I guess you could call it. It's a little bit of a Beach Boys ish kind of thing, especially with sports. There was a lot of that look to it. But yeah, with this one, you know, you have your first cut, and it's all about reminiscing, you know, the, the the younger years, if you will. This is the cut that I would consider to be the second most popular cut of the album. At least with me, it's it's 
maybe my second favorite. The rest of them are kind of, of, of different. They're all different. So it's it's really unusual how uh, how they're able to do this. Now, with the second cut, which is called Her Love Is Killing Me, which is my favorite one of all the cuts in this in this album. This is also the one that was released first. You know, this was the single. And again, this is something I would put up there in a greatest hits. This is this belongs as a greatest hits. It's got everything. You know, it's got the harmonica, it's got the story being told, and again, it's more of a classic Huey Lewis having girl problems kind of song. His voice is there, It's it, this one hits it out of the park, it's right there exactly where it should be. Uh, this particular song also, they put out a really, really cool uh, music video, very low-tech, if you will, not a you know, studio-produced music video like they used to in the past. This one is is made out of, I guess, all his friends singing different parts of the song. So you, it's a, it's a, it's like a Where's Waldo kind of thing where you can you can try to figure out who these people are and you can kind of tell this is that guy, this is that famous actors, musicians, uh, all kinds of sports people. You know, all his people. And then again, you get this feel that it's. It's his swan song. This is it. This is this is getting, you know, you're getting to the end. So if you don't know the background, it's an unusual video, but knowing the background, knowing exactly where this whole thing is heading. You know, it's a little, uh, it's a little sad, you know, to, to, to kind of think about it. Now, there's many, many, many more songs. And like I said, they do kind of jump in terms of going from one subject to another. Next up, you have I'm There For You. And that particular song is more of a traditional, I don't know, again, I don't know the language that much, but... I don't know if you can call it a ballad. It's a slower, lovey-dovey kind of song, which he usually has one of these in most of his albums. He kind of slows it down. And it's a calm kind of song. It's hard to explain. Here, listen to it. I am there for you. I will comfort you. If you want me to. So, you know, that's that's pretty much what you got with that one. <laughs> like I said, it's it's different in terms of compared to the first two songs. Uh, it's 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 not my favorite. I, I, I don't go for those slower kind of songs. But I know that in most of his albums he does have a song kind of like this. So it makes sense to kind of throw that one in there. Up next we have Hurry Back Baby. What's interesting about the song is the beginning. And the reason I say it is because whenever this song starts, it reminds me of the opening of your typical 
nighttime talk show, like a, like a Leno. Well, Leno's not around anymore. Uh, well, whoever uh, happens to be around <laughs> these days. You're, you know, like your Carson, your Leno, your Letterman, it ha- uh, your Fallon, uh, Myers, uh, you know, the, the current ones. It, it has that feel of the, the that big band that can do modern music, uh, but it has this big grand kind of opening to it. So I always, you know, when I listen to the song, it's like I know that the song then turns into something else. You know, around the middle. Hurry back, baby. Hurry back now. Hurry back, baby. It's a very big bandy, jazzy kind of thing. You know, again, uh, the, the 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 thing that comes running through my head is 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 late night talk show, kind of open. Now, next song is called Remind Me Why I Love You Again. Hey, Stan, the spicy food. You like modern country, I like rhythm and blues. With nothing in common, should we even be friends? Remind me why I love you again. Now, this, is a, this song is a little bit of a, kind of like a funky song. It's got... A little bit of blues in it. It's got a little bluesy feel to it. And what's interesting about this song is that um, they actually brought back, unless this was written a very long time ago, Chris Hayes, their guitarist, you know, their original guitarist, to come and uh, write this this particular song. He doesn't necessarily play in it, but he he wrote it. Really interesting that you know they went in this direction. And again, as you could tell. No two songs are alike. This 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 particular one, they go in a, in a in a bluesy route. So it's it's really really different how they go. Sometimes they go more towards soul. Sometimes they go more towards like rhythm and blues or all out blues. So you know this is them exploring or at least him hitting all those notes, all those genres that that he's very fond of. Which is, you know, I guess that's what artists like to do, and especially I think in this particular album because. I think he's trying to do a a goodbye album in a way. If you if you kind of think about it, he's he's. I, I know it's kind of depressing, but that's what's happening as far as I'm concerned. Now, next song is called "Pretty Girls Everywhere," and I had to look this one up because this is the only song in the album that is not original. This is a cover, and it's a very very traditional '50s rock song. This. Pretty girls, pretty girls, pretty girls, pretty girls, pretty girls everywhere. Hey, hey, and if I make it to the beach, there's a pretty girl there. I mean, this doesn't get more 50s than this. You have the chorus, you have the the bump 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 bump, bump you know that kind of simple 50s rock uh, <laughs> music behind it, uh, and it's it's a fun little song. Uh, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised he, that they put something uh, that was not original, that they chose this song uh, because, um, you know, I figured he would just go with all original. Again, you, you got to come up with an original 50-sounding song. And that's kind of weird because nowadays, it, everything that you try to do that sounds 50s, it sounds like you're copying an already existing 50s song. So I can kind of see how <laughs> you might as well go for something that, that, uh, that, you're, that you like. Next up... We have the final song, which is, it's very, it's a difficult song for me. It's called One of the Boys. And in a way, it's a very good ending to the album. 
my issue is that the subject matter, not the subject, the genre, is one of my least favorites, and that is country music. Playing a little Dixieland. Yeah, I knew immediately that's where I wanted to be. With them boys up on the stand, playing in a honky tonk band. One of the boys making beautiful. And the song is basically all about him watching this band, this honky-tonk band, and him wanting to, at that moment, I guess, deciding that that's what he wanted to do with his life. It's a very sentimental, emotional song. Uh, And again, when you think about, from a fan's perspective, I mean, again, granted, you know, you're not, you don't know the day-to-day stuff of what's going on with, with Huey Lewis. You're not his friend. Most of us are not his friend, you know. But from the fan perspective, from somebody whose only connection is the music and, and whatever little research you're able to do uh, about the individual, it's this is the goodbye song. This is him saying goodbye to the fans, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's, like I said, normally I, I stay away from country music. Like, I just cannot, very little, very little uh, music that I'm able to, handle country-wise there are very few artists that um kind of were able to kind of get my interest um I, I know for example um i know for example that the eagles they do have a country side to them and some of the songs you can kind of see them dipping into it so that you know that works for me i used to listen to eddie rabbit believe it or not out of all people again this was back in my solid gold days in the 80s um I used to listen to a little bit of Charlie Daniels, you know, again, before I understood Charlie's politics, (laughs) which now it's like, oh, God, can't believe I used to listen to that. Uh, But here it's, you know, it's it's really, really interesting uh, about the fact that this is yet another one of his influences. And and it kind of makes sense in a way, because a lot of that 50s rock did cross over into country every now and then. There was a... A gray area, you know, I think. Again, I'm not a music historian, but there is a gray area. There is an overlap between rock and country. There is something there that sometimes crosses over. This album, like I said before, it's not my favorite album, but the weight of its heart, the weight of its meaning, uh, really makes me listen to it it makes it easier for me to listen to it from beginning to end and kind of understand what's happening here in terms of a story being told this is huey saying goodbye and he's basically you know instead of those themes that we're used to about having fun and girls and and heartbreak and this and that this one's a little more on that ending side of some of those regrets, some of those problems, um, some of his influences, the things he wanted to do when he was young, you know, all of that kind of stuff is in this album. And unless you connect it together with what really is happening to him, it probably won't make that much of an impact, you know, with your average person. The fact that it's only seven songs also makes it even more sentimental or, or focused, if you will. Not a lot of room to kind of go into certain tangents that a a normal album could go into. The name Weather, for example, the name of the album, from what I understand, is is also a... a, a, He's in an interview, he talks about how 
you know, sports. That's the theme of that album was sports. And there are the news. Well, the weather. The weather, I think, is the last thing they usually talk about. So, it, again, it's kind of like, oh, no, this is, the, this is the end. Again, the end of the line. Which is not only uh, somewhat sad in terms of the artist, but the, the band. You know, the whole band. You know, and then you start thinking, well, what happens to these bands when, you know, the, 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 the lead singer retires or stops working? Or, God forbid, dies. You know, those people just scatter into the wind. And they, I guess they, some of them join other bands and some of them kind of go into nowhere. You know, they, they change careers, probably some of them. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to kind of wrap up the, 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 my personal connection, my, my fan connection, you know, to Huey Lewis with this album. Because, you know, I would rather talk about him now while he's putting a, a a final dot at the end of the career that he's had, uh, rather than talk about him as somebody who's not around anymore. But I would definitely recommend this album. Obviously, if you're a Huey Lewis fan, you got to have this album. I bought every single one of his albums, even the ones that I didn't like that much. I bought them anyway, you know, because that's part of my collecting thing. But like I said before, there is a Greatest Hits at least one greatest hits in this stack of seven songs. And it's a good end, I guess, to his catalog. Would I would like, uh, you know, seven number one hits? Of course I would. But then if you have seven one hits, the bad thing about it is that then you, you would be thinking, oh my God, he could have done so much more. Yes, the trajectory that he currently had was that that's pretty much what was coming out of his albums and he was taking his time you know putting out albums it was it was a number of years since he had a brand new album but the trajectory currently was kind of like that you got an album where you have one pretty good song and then the rest are kind of like out there you know and, and this is exactly what you're getting however like i said the sentimentality the 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 heart behind and the story behind this album makes it stand out more than any other one. I can listen to this album from beginning to end. The rest of them, it's a little more difficult to listening to them, you know, from beginning to end. This one is kind of telling you a story, and if you're connected to the history and the fandom, if you will, of Huey Lewis, if you are a fan, this is the conclusion to a story that's been told since the early 80s really all right i hope you guys enjoyed today's show we started off with our discussion of star wars posters those original posters man do i love those posters i'm so glad i have at least uh replicas reproductions of them and the stories behind these posters they're not just a little picture that just pops up here or there every now and then there is such a good rich story you know behind some of these artists that pop in and out of you know the the poster creating uh world the the art world the the advertising world and how these things go from just simple pieces of advertisement to full-fledged art and the thousands of dollars that these things sometimes cost nowadays if you want something very original it's just incredible and i'm so glad you know that these are at least affordable you know for us you know in the reproduction you know in the uh reprint market if you will 
at least you can get them in this manner. And I also hope you guys enjoyed my little Huey Lewis in the News final review of his last album. Sadly, possibly his final album. Again, Huey Lewis, to me, occupies a very special spot, you know, in my in my music heart, if you will. You know, for me, you know, Huey Lewis has always been my favorite overall. You know, no matter what he puts out, I'll try listening to it. Uh, I love most of it, not all of it, but I love most of it, and and how special this uh, last album, even though it is not a hit machine album like Sports was, this is a, an album that basically has his name stamped all over it, all his likes, all his all the things that he's into, all his influences, they're all in there, and and the album, like I mentioned during my conversation, the album tells a story, and it's a final swan song if you will you know possibly at the end of his career so thanks everybody for listening we will see you soon here at geek fest rants bye bye everybody hi everybody i'm huey lewis Power of love is very powerful, more powerful than we realize. And as we get older, it's really the most important emotion we have. Love really does make the world go around. I mean, you look at this crazy world with all these people and you think, how does this work? Love it has to be love. Steven Spielberg, Bob Zemeckis, and Bob Gale, who produced, directed, and wrote Back to the Future, respectively, asked to take a meeting with us Zemeckis said, we've just written this movie, and Marty McFly is our lead character, and his favorite band would be Huey Lewis in the News. How about writing a song for the film? I went, wow, I'm flattered, but I don't know how to write for film, and I don't fancy much writing a song called Back to the Future. And they said, oh, well, it doesn't need to be called Back to the Future, we just want one of your songs. I said, great, I'll send you the next thing we write. That's it, your favorite group is in the movie business. Chris Hayes wrote the music initially, wrote the progression, and I strapped on that Sony Walkman and went for a little jog. And I wrote the song on that jog, and I sent it to Zemeckis. I'm in the control room, and we're listening to the vocal, and Sean, our keyboard player, at the end of the thing, he, he looks at me and goes, you know what, it's the best thing we ever did. Turned out he was probably right, it's the best hit we ever had. Well, the video was cut, all night long, one of these grueling video shoots at a local club in Marin County called Uncle Charlie's. And Tim Newman, the director, he wanted to get it real moody, so it's kind of dark. When the MTV Awards came out, it won Best Video or something like that. And I remember saying to my keyboard player, Sean Hopper, I said, Power Love Video won an award. And I remember he said, oh really? What award did it win? Was it Best Brown Video? And if you look at the video, it's brown. Just saying, it's brown. What, what's going on in there? Music. What, what kind of music? Dancing. Rock and Two Bobs, Zemeckis and Gail thought it would be a good, funny joke, kind of like an inside thing. So we agreed to do it if I was uncredited and disguised somehow. But when I looked at the wardrobe, I thought of the head of our label, who uses dress like that. And he used to kind of talk like this, because he was a very, con very corporate conservative guy. I just channeled him. And I became him, and I said, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. When they covered the song, you know, when you hear them, <laughs> and you say,
this stuff. They took our demo tape and then squealed guitar all over it. So the pinheads really are Huey Lewis the News with Michael Jack. We play these songs live, and of course, many of them have migrated and changed and morphed into other things. I've changed the melody a little bit and different stuff over time, but not Power Love. We got it. We got it pretty right the first time. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2020. <laughs>